Welcome to Silverfin Capital's FinSights podcast, hosted by Rich Piznoy, co-founder and principal of Silverfin Capital, lending expert, residential and commercial property owner, and sales and networking professional. This podcast is all about bringing people together for conversations exploring current trends, insights, and innovations around real estate, finance, and life. Today on Silverfin Capital's FinSights podcast, we're excited to welcome the managing partner of Abrams Garfinkel, Margolis Bergson, Neil Garfinkel. Neil is the partner in charge of AGMB's real estate and banking practices and also serves as broker counsel to the Real Estate Board of New York, or REBNY, New York City's leading real estate trade association. Neil also has been awarded with the distinction of super lawyer by Super Lawyers, a division of Thomas Reuters. Neil and I have known each other for over 15 years. Besides being extremely charming, a pretty good golfer and an all-around nice guy, his expertise has helped many companies as well as Silverfin Capital in countless ways. Welcome to FinSights, Neil. Hope you're doing well. How's everything, buddy? Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So why don't we get into this a little bit? And besides all those very glamorous things that I've mentioned above that you're currently doing and that you're currently involved with, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and AGMB. Sure. Thank you. So started AGMB 27 years ago. I had worked at a big firm, then realized probably that it wasn't going to be for me for lots of different reasons. Went out and started an entertainment and licensing company, believe it or not. And that existed for a long time, but I also recognized, you know what, got to make money every day. So went to work for a small firm. And at that small firm, they represented banks. They were doing bank closings. And so I was always a real estate attorney. I always wanted to be a real estate attorney, but by virtue of that, I really learned how to do closings. And then when my roommate from college, a guy named Bill Abrams, called and, and said, look, I'm thinking about going on my own. He had been at a, also was working at a big firm. I was like, I'm ready. Right? I worked at a big firm. Then I worked at a smaller firm, knew how to do those bank closings. Bill had some friends who were, in the, were mortgage brokers, actually a pretty well-known mortgage company, and everything just kind of came together. So it was great. It was really a great opportunity. And I look back fondly 27 years later, and some of the best times was, you know, probably that first year that we were in business. The struggle, the struggle. Yeah, the struggle and just the excitement of actually getting your own clients and, and building something was great. One decision that I made, because when we left, I really had no clients. I mean, I think I literally, I was working on one kind of semi-trust in a state matter, no real estate clients. So I said, well, how am I going to get business? How am I going to grow business? And it occurred to me that that real estate brokers were probably a pretty good way of, of sourcing business. So I reached out to the Long Island Board of Realtors and they were nice enough. I got my certification to teach real estate classes. And over a period of time, I became chair of some of their committees. But that's how I really started to represent the real estate brokerage industry. So that decision was amazing. And it really was, you know, career changing because as you mentioned, I'm, I've been counseled to Rebney, the real estate board in New York for the last 16 years. But before that, I worked very closely with LIBOR, the Long Island Board of Realtors, and it helped me, you know, kind of forge this path. So, so we're known for representing lenders, as you know, which really was an outgrowth of that small firm that I worked for and, and that kind of great opportunity to meet some real estate, rather mortgage brokers, and the decision to work with the real estate brokerage community. And today we're still, it's really what we're known for. The first office was where? That's a good question. The first office actually was in the city. So Bill and I both lived on Long Island. We had a, a choice 
And we both, quite frankly, said, you know what? The real estate business in Manhattan is unlike anything else, and it will weather any storm. And that was a very good decision. We now have offices in LA. Bill moved out to LA 18 years ago, full time. He still comes back once every three weeks. We have an office in Manhattan and an office in Melville. We've always had that satellite, and it's not even a satellite office anymore. It's, It's just, but the decision was made to to be in Manhattan first and foremost. And I think that made a lot of sense. And we've met, you know, we had an office in Great Neck as you did. And so that's worked out well because that marketplace endures just about anything. The fact that you're in the city, the fact that you're on the island, we can say LA. I mean, these are main main areas of business. And I think New York, California is is ideal. That being said, tell me a little bit about your personal life. Family? Married? I've got, yeah. Yeah, married my college sweetheart. So we've been together since freshman year. And interesting, I say that because, you know, as I said, my partner was my college roommate. So we have all grown up together. And and AGMB, even though we have about 150 employees, though, it's still very much family run. Bill's wife is involved, does the marketing. My wife is involved. So that's been great. It's nice when you can all work kind of together as a family, but I have two kids. I have a daughter who is 30, lives out in Dix Hills, and we have a grandson and another on the way. So that's exciting. Congratulations! And then, thank you. And my son just was admitted to the bar. He went to law school at night and has worked really at AGMB for for most of that time. And now he works in our real estate department. So- Excellent. It's um, probably nice seeing him. As you know, and golf. I love sports and I love, I love golf. So I love it. I love yeah. it. Like you like working with your son. Yeah, it's, it's great. I mean, what it, yes, it's a great thing. And, but I frequently say, look, just because you have the last name really doesn't mean a whole lot. You got to go out and, and do it on your own. So try to be a role model, but after that, it's going to be up to him just as it is for anyone else that works here. I like it. I like hearing it. I love it. In fact, and again, congratulations on the, uh, grandkid and one and the one on the way there's Uh, there's really nothing better than that i know yours are a little bit younger so we're not going to rush them but there is nothing better (laughs) please i don't want to rush (laughs) not ready yet you're not ready yet (laughs) that's great you know you mentioned you know when i first tell me about how you started etc you started mentioning that you you were meeting real estate brokers real estate agents and you know while i know you for some time obviously you know we talked a little bit about a new site that you created. And for me, it's, it's a perfect lead in. And, and, and to your point of really what you call it butters your bread or where your grass is grown, so to speak, you created a site called toolboxforsuccess.com. And from what I understand, it's obviously it's a toolbox for the real estate agent or broker. Can you tell me a little bit more about it? Tell us a little bit more about what made you start it, one, and you know how did it really come about? Because as you said, you, know, you, went, you go to these meetings, you join these boards, that boards, one, you have to have time to do this. So what was the what was the drive? It's actually called the Toolbox for Real Estate Agent Success. The URL is Toolbox for Success. Uh, excuse me, yes. And it was, you know, as you, as you mentioned, I spend a lot of time, we host a legal hotline for Revney members. Every day we answer about six to 10 phone calls. We publish a column on Thursdays called the Legal Line Question of the Week. We do a column on Fridays called Fair Housing Fridays. The Toolbox really was a means of having a deeper engagement with the real estate agent community. 
It didn't necessarily have to be Rebney. I still teach at LIBOR. I still teach yeah. fair housing there, legal updates. I am on the New York State Real Estate Board. So really all, I, I spend a huge amount of my time working with that community. So we didn't have one place where agents could find all of the information that we're constantly putting out there. And you couple that with my belief that real estate agents need a systematic way to conduct their business. Our business and even your business lends itself to checklists, right? We yeah. do, whether I'm representing a purchaser, whether I'm representing the lender, whether you're taking an application for a mortgage, whether the real estate broker is representing a seller, we all do basically the same things over and over again. And so we wanted to have a, a central place where we could further that idea. So we have something on the toolbox called the checklist builder. You can build checklists. We support that checklist with templates, with communication tools. So, so you can, you know, if you're giving out what's called the agency disclosure form, here's a template for how do you deliver that, that particular form. And then there's a separate section on the toolbox for forms. So, so we have a checklist builder, we have template section, a form section. Additionally, we have a rental resources section, a fair housing resources section. Every page, there's a button you can click on that says, ask Neil. Yeah. So if you have questions and then everyone sees those questions, all the members, and I'm proud to say we have about 7,100 members at this point. And yeah. so there is two versions. There's a free version. There is a paid version. Happy to have paid membership. It's just, it's a deeper engagement, but we really focus on the free membership and you get the checklist builder. You get to ask the questions, you get the forms, templates, and so on. And so we're really proud of creating a deeper engagement, a one central source for all this information. To my knowledge, there is no other place that agents can go as it relates to rental resources and fair housing resources in the manner that we're, that we're putting it out there. I appreciate you explaining that. You know, you and I talked about the site before. You know, I noticed, uh, obviously, the, the Ask Neil is terrific, getting real advice, real information. It's an almost real time, if you will, a few days or whatever the case may be. But when I go through this, this site as well, I, again, I'm not a real estate agent. I just say that in dealing with a lot of real estate brokers, agencies, and agents, they don't have all these resources. And that's even, even when they work for larger firms itself as well. So it's always nice to see that something like this can, can be provided. And somebody that actually took the time to do that. You know, there's tips, topics, et cetera. And to your point, checklists and templates for everything you have here. There's videos as well. So I, I think it's pretty amazing. And there's something to be said for having 7,100 members already you know, on this. Obviously, there's a need and a want. So congratulations with Thank that. You. I think it's terrific. And the site is really, really user-friendly, by the way. So whoever designed it, whether it's yourself or you know, the team that put it together, really did a fantastic job. So I think it's great. You know, it's interesting. It actually leads me to an, another question. I, I sit here and everywhere I go or anything I'm, I, I see with, pertaining to real estate, real estate law, even finance, you know, real estate finance, I see Neil Garfinkel. I mean, you're literally everywhere. How do you balance the amount of marketing and time that you spend doing that marketing with your day-to-day -day business at AGMB? I think there's a lot of different ways to answer that. <clears throat> I have really good partners. Yeah. You know, a bunch of them. We've been, so I made a decision first and foremost, I didn't want to just be a closing firm. Not that there's anything wrong with being a closing firm, but to 
provide a definition. Some firms, literally, they just do closings on behalf of banks, for example, or maybe on behalf of purchasers and sellers, but they're more limited. And, and I didn't want to do that. But in order to grow our business, I needed to have good partners. So we've added other firms, other, and we have a really good core. And all of my real estate partners, they all had their own firms at one point. So that's first and foremost. I couldn't do what I do without having really good support. And our firm is a little bit different, I think, in that, yeah, we are a closing shop. People know us for that. But all the partners are very much involved. And we're known for the brokers and and I have really good support there and and so on. So, So that's one thing. The second thing is also is you should always be marketing. Bill's motto has always been, you know, you need to have a breakfast, lunch, or dinner every day. Now, pre-COVID, we pretty much did that. I was do I do something as it relates to marketing every day. So, first of all, that's the best part of the business: meeting people, getting to know them, put the business aside. Everything else follows. And and then, as they say to everyone, it's it's about connecting dots. It's just connecting people and and experiences can't always do business with everyone, but you can get to know people. So that's really important. And then we market through education. That's just yeah. what we do. So, so when you talk about the marketing, if you take a look though, it's, you know, maybe there's a picture of us teaching a class or just offering up on Facebook what our most recent legal line question of the week was. So, so we do believe that, that it's important to to provide educational materials. It's not enough to just say, oh, send me business or, oh, hey, look at me, what I was doing. I think that it's more important to suggest or, or to provide that, you know, some of that important educational opportunities that we have that we can share. You know, look, we just came through or we're hopefully coming through serious COVID. I'm not talking about, you know, hopefully no one gets too ill, but with some serious stuff. And you know, a lot of companies were working, you know, remotely, you know, in fact, everybody was at one point. Are we back at AGMB? Are we back to conducting business as it was in 2019? Are we doing some sort of a hybrid? What's your stance on it? How are you looking at things today? We've tried to get back to people being in the office. So we never shut down. We were deemed to be an essential business by virtue of representing lenders and lenders were an essential business. So at the onset of COVID, even then, we still had people in the office. They were very limited. I think we were limited to 10% or we just didn't have a choice. And, and we've ramped up over time. Plus, you take into account during COVID, and you know this, the, the refi boom, the mortgage refinance boom occurred and was just really out of control. We did more closings during COVID than we ever had done before. We hired more people than we had ever hired before. And it was really difficult to balance the need to have people in the office working outside the office. As things have slowed down in the mortgage business, interest rates have really skyrocketed. We've made an effort to bring everyone back to the office because we had staggered schedules, but partially because we really needed to see, okay, who's doing what? There was so much business, but now how many people are we going to need to handle that? But each time we've done that, quite frankly, COVID has reared its ugly head again. Yeah. And so for a while we were back in the office and now I'm back to a little bit of a staggered schedule. Just it makes people more comfortable and not everyone kind of being on top of each other. So it's still, you know, very much a work in progress as we continue on this path. 
people just work differently at home. It's just yeah. different, right? And and we, you know, we pay hourly for the most part. And but if someone's clocking in at nine and and they're clocking out at nine p.m. because they've been answering emails, you know, would they have been doing that if they just came to the office, right? Yeah. Or just hard to tell. I think my people were amazing. I give, I mean, huge kudos to the people that work for us, particularly during during the pandemic, what they went through to get to the office and what we went through to get the amount of closings done was amazing. So I have no problem with that whatsoever. I do think that you're more productive when you could sit and you can talk to someone and yeah. be in the office. I don't know how that's going to play out. The only final comment, I, I think some of that will just be dependent on business. If you ask me as a whole, I think that it's important for everyone to be in the office. Yeah. Our business having to do closings and touch paper, we don't have a choice. We have to touch papers. We have to have people here. Could business be done with people working in other places? Yeah, I think it can. It maybe is, can be done successfully, but as an old school person, I still think there's no replacement for everyone being in the office together. That's just my yeah. personal take. No, I, you know, I sit here and I, and I look at you. You're, you're a calm, cool character. I know you're a long time, but you know the truth is everybody has their ways of handling stress. How do you do it? You know, I sit here and say, what keeps Neil Garfinkel up at night? What is it? So I've learned over time that, number one, losing your cool, whether that be freaking out or, or getting angry at someone, just never, ever works out in the end. And so you learn how, you know, from my perspective, as things get crazier, I think it's far more important that you be as calm as possible. That's kind of the, the first thing that I, and I really try to practice that. The golf course, I'm not so good at that, but, but in business <laughs> and personal that. life, <laughs> but that's also my personality. I'm definitely, I don't like adversarial situations. I would sooner just try to bring everyone together, be calm and so on. The other thing is, I think I'm very fortunate in that I can compartmentalize things and, and be able to, to say, okay, you know, this is a problem and we're going to have to deal with it, but I can put that away for the time being while we deal with it and do other things and, and be able to do that and not get so, some people just, you know, they, they can't get it out of their mind. They keep focusing and hyper-focusing on that. And I don't think that is really, it's hard not to do that sometimes. But so I just consider myself fortunate that I'm able to do that. Part of that though, is the recognition that there's always going to be something. So, so I find that a lot of people, they focus as well. If I can solve this one thing in my life, my life will be better after this as if nothing else is going to happen. But unfortunately, life is not like that. Business is not like that. There's always yeah. going to be something else that you have to deal with that's going to be problematic. And that goes for good, good times and, you know, good things. And so it's a series of ups and downs. And I think the ability to, to recognize that is really important, that it's not that getting too high and too low is not a great idea if, if you can avoid it. Some people just, they can't. And that's why I would just say that I feel fortunate that I have the ability to do that. Right. To separate yourself from it. I mean, it's rare. Not everybody can do it. No. And I get that. Things that cause or stress or some difficult times make for good character for a person. You know, they help develop somebody's sense of how to handle, how to grow. If they're a little crazed at times, how they can change. And look, I think everybody can learn from a lot of different things. We talk about 
you know, use it as a learning moment. And yeah, I mean, hey, we all got to pay our bills. But the truth is, is that sitting sulking is not one way to do that. So I think when you talk to your employees, I'm assuming, I like to think that companies take on the, the personality of, of management or the executives, if, if, if you will. And I think ultimately, I would assume that when you're having these conversations with your, with your employees, it's very similar to the way that you just, you try to respond yourself. Yeah, I mean, there's no question that I think that the business that I chose to be, and I, I always liked the real estate. I worked, my uncle and my cousin, I worked for them. They were in the real estate business. I worked for them in high school. Yeah. So putting on my suit in high school and going into the city during summer vacations and, you know, and so on. But I chose the business because I think it matches my personality. So there were two aspects of that. Number one, I wanted to know and be as good at at what I do as I possibly could. And the truth of the matter is being a real estate attorney, right? And representing purchasers or sellers or banks, there's a limited universe after a while of what you know. So there aren't too many things that surprise me. And so I feel really comfortable about that. I feel really good about the fact that I've accumulated all this information and I use that, but it's, but I don't have to worry about what's gonna happen tomorrow, right? And, and let me be clear, I learn something new every day but it all comes together. So that's just my personality, as opposed to, you know, some uh, some lawyers like, for example, litigators. They may have a new case. They have to learn something over and over again every yeah. time, right? I don't I don't feel that way. So I'm always building knowledge, which is good. And the things you do learn, you you add to that. So that's number one. The other thing is just 99% of the people that I'm involved with, in one way, they're happy when they leave my office. They either refinanced or, or they just purchased something or they just sold something. And so there's a very clear path to that. We have a start, we have a finish. And most times, really most times, we accomplish what we set out to accomplish. That's not always the case in a lot of other fields and so on. And so I'm not a doctor. I could not be a doctor. I couldn't be worrying about life and death situations. And so going back to what you said, so yes, we're not perfect. If we make a mistake, if we cause someone to go through a rate lock, Rich, for example, right? Okay, so we'll make it right. And I explained to my people, okay, we might have to write a check or we may have to do something, but we're not making life and death decisions, situations. And so to that point, yeah, I do try to, to let people, look, learn from your mistake, try not to make it again, but it's, it's not life and death here. These are good things that we're working on. So those are the two things why I think that what we do matches my personality. I love it. I think it's, it's, it's great points. It really is. You got to be calm. I think in any business, I think ultimately it's just, it's, it's tough in New York state, for example, it's a, an attorney state. So when people are closing their purchase transactions, refinances, there's always a bank attorney there. My question to you is, there are states, you know, let's say Florida, Jersey, you know, et cetera, where it's not necessarily mandatory, we call them title states, to have, a, to have representation. I'm just curious. I know how I feel about it when I bought my home, how I felt having representation for me as a buyer. How important do you think it's, it is to have representation? And just on a quick, quick note, why do you think those states don't really require attorney representation for the potential buyers? So I guess that I would answer that in two ways. First of all, you know, New York City, New York State, we have a lot of co-ops and condos. So yep. that adds, I think that adds a layer of complexity to the transaction. We have something called mortgage tax, which most states don't have. So there are 
dealing with certain loop, not loopholes, because it's not the right word, but the law allows people to save on the mortgage tax if they've already paid it once. So we do things called consolidation. So, so there's a certain level of complexity in New York that maybe we don't have elsewhere that requires our expertise. That's one thing. The second thing, though, which is, is puzzling to me is I know what we go through when we represent purchasers and sellers in particular. I know we do due diligence on condos and co-ops. We issue a complete due diligence report based on our reviewing the offering plan, the financials, the board minutes, the dealings with the seller, if we're representing purchaser. I'm a little, I don't know how it's done elsewhere, but I'm a little surprised knowing what we put into a transaction how someone just goes into a transaction and they're basically signing the papers. And I don't believe they do the things that we do. So that's all I can say, Rich. I don't, I'm not really hundred percent sure how it's done, but, but so be it. I just know what we do here and the value that we bring and how it's not easy to get transactions closed. And, and no. to- you know, on a lighter note, I'm curious, do you have a routine when you get up in the morning, you start your day a certain way, do you go putting, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> Try to work out every day. Try to work out every day. That's really important. I've done that for most of my adult life. So try to get to the gym, put on some music or, you know, even watching, you know, whether it be Netflix or something like that. And, and part of that is it feel, you feel far better physically and also mentally. There are very few times during the day that I am not connected to a phone or my cell phone or email and the truth of the matter is working out or or golf are the really the only two times that I'm you know I kind of throw my phone into my golf bag or put it away and I'm not focusing on it. So I think it both of those things help me meet that separation. So I think that's really important. Every brain needs a break, so to speak. So I think that that's a big deal. Well, things um, have changed since you and I have gone into business. I mean, when I first started, so I've been doing this a little bit longer than you, but we didn't have email. It was literally just starting. So if you think about how things were done via fax and, and even there really weren't, I mean, I guess overnights were just starting, but, but now there's an expectation that we respond to everything immediately. And we've created that. We're part of that. So we can't really complain about it because we all do that. So no one has the ability to really be down. You know, there's no downtime. And the other thing I was going to say previously, you were talking about business, but it's when you're an owner, it's 24-7, right? So you asked, how are you out there all the time? But it's 24-7. We are always on as it relates to our business. And so you put those things together in immediacy of information and people want you and want you right now. And you combine that with your own, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how you're a successful business owner, quite frankly, if you're not on 24-7 in one way or the other, because it's your business. You put those things together. It's hard to separate. You just hope you can retire early before you lose your mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of segues me into this, this really, this question that I, and I kind of ask everybody that I, that I talk to this question. It's that are, let's say that's a peer, you know, when you start working, when I started working, maybe when you started working, generally People stayed at their jobs a long time. You know, they, they, they were there long term. Today, you know, with many young professionals, it seems like they jump and they jump and they jump. In fact, sometimes they, they go from one company to the next without even telling the company that they left. They're already at, you know, they've already started working at the other company. 
And it's, it's kind of an odd thought to me. I'm just kind of saying, you know, any thoughts behind that or maybe even advice you can give on something like that. It's just kind of a weird dynamic and just taking your thoughts because you bring in some young people as well. So I think that we all, so the world is a far smaller place today. The ability to find out information, to share information, far smaller than when we started. If you, know, if you were looking for a job as a young associate, for example, there was a limited universe of, of how you would do that. You might go to the New York Law Journal. You might contact or reach out to a headhunter. Maybe you'd talk to a friend over a drink, but, but the ability yeah. to gain that information has changed significantly. Now, there is no lack of ability to connect with people, whether you know them or not. There's no lack of people living out loud. Additionally, there's no lack of people that are, are finding the ability to work in non-traditional ways and to make money in non-traditional ways. So, so you put all of those things together and it's not hard to see what, you know, what other firms are hiring and what that might look like. And so, so we, we're just in a completely different time as it relates to information and how you also conduct business. I know speaking to my son and he has some friends, they, his contemporaries, some people have figured out ways to make money in, in so many different ways. Now there's, that's some, there's good and some bad, you know, there's, there are a couple of people, I don't, you know, I'm not specifically referring to him or, you know, they, they're crypto millionaires, but I don't know where they're going to be tomorrow right now. So well, crypto, um, but, but then uh, people have figured out how to sell maybe sneakers online. And I'm not taking anything away from, from their creativity or their ability to figure out ways to do that. There's nothing wrong with that from my perspective, but it all supports why we're experiencing what we're experiencing. Notwithstanding that, Rich, I will tell you though, that we have a lot of employees. I am encouraging the next generation. I don't want to, I don't mind working at all, but I want other people to step into the void and do what we're doing. And I have to tell you, it's very hard to find people to do that. Yeah. It's very hard to find people to do what we do. And, and I've, I've always found that. So, so I don't have a great answer there. I guess we'll, we'll, we'll just continue to try to, to find good people and, and hopefully we do that. Listen, the last thing I wanted to ask you was really was, look, growing up, people have different influences in, the, in their lives. It could be your, your parents. It could be, you know, Hank Aaron. It could be anybody, you know, it could be anybody in the world. Who was your influence? Who made you, you know, the kind of helped you make, become the person that you are? Could, you know, was it a friend? Is it your family? Who, tell me, give me a little something. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I think that there's lots of people, right? Whether it be your parents, my dad, my mom, my in-law, I mean, my, my mother-in-law, my father-in-law died a year after we were married, quite frankly, he's 50 years old. So, so they've always supported us. My wife is a tremendous support system. Again, we've been together since we're 18 years old. So you talk about influences, influences take all different types of, of forms. The support, you know, my dad was a school teacher, but worked every night when it came home, worked and ultimately got his doctorate and and became superintendent of Oceanside Schools on Long Island and Manhasset. And so I look at what he did and, you know, and, and again, talk about my mother-in-law who built a life after she lost her husband at 50. So, and always supported us in any way if I want. So those are huge influences to me. 
But I, I really, you know, I got to look at my partner, Bill, who we started this firm with 27 years ago. I don't know anyone who works harder than this guy. I don't know anyone who puts more of an effort into to being there for his clients and building a business and being supportive. And, and so huge influence in me would not certainly would not be here today without his influence and our partnership, you know, and then my other partners and all the people around me, I just, I feel very fortunate. I know if you follow Guy Raz, how I built this, and he always asks at the end, do you think it's luck or do you think it's work or it's a combination of both, which I think is a great question. And I absolutely think it's a combination of both, but there's a lot of luck. I mean, you make a a right turn instead of a left turn, your life is completely different. So, so I would say that you need to put the work in, you need to do some of the things we talked about. And then just, I feel extremely fortunate to have been able to accomplish everything. And I would not have done that without the support of, of everyone in my life. I love it. I think they would love it. I think hearing that and hopefully they will. (laughs) Who wins the open? I think I picked Scotty Scheffler. All right, we'll see what happens. You know, we'll see what happens. who'd you who'd you pick? You know, I'm still I'm still thinking of, of JT and hoping, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I I picked a, a bunch of right. <laughs> you know, yeah, from each category, but there's a guy named Joel Damon who you know you take a look at his story and he's you know kind of his battle he battled cancer and just so you know that's kind of a a favorite pick. And, Love it. So let's you know, remove the underdog a little bit. You know, so yeah, so a, a bunch of different guys. I love it. I love it. Neil, you rock as always. You know, I thank you so much. Listen. Oh, thank you for having me. You know, it's funny. We know each other for, for a long time, but the truth is it's always when you have conversations like this, you get to learn a little bit more about the other person. And and I, I gotta tell you, I really appreciate getting your your finsights on yes. life business. Oh, and, again, uh, I appreciate you know and appreciate you and your support of us always. So that's been really a kind of a very important relationship for us. So thank Absolutely. you. We feel the same way. It's terrific. And I uh, look forward to maintaining that re- networking relationship and our friendship. Yep. So, absolutely. Listen, you're terrific. Thank you again for everything. And I will be in touch and see you soon, my man. All Thanks, the best Bob. to you, the family, and cheers. You too. Take care, buddy. Um, But we also want to thank the listeners, the viewers. Uh, We do hope everybody enjoyed the conversation. If you did, you know, please feel free to to share us, uh, the podcast on on social media. Uh, We'd love to hear some feedback, some ideas, some guests who you think might be good uh, in the future. Uh, And you can reach out out to us at uh, finsights at silverfincapital.com. Thank you so much, everybody.